Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube, you can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review and visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week, we watched Killers of the Flower Moon. Here is your synopsis. Real love crosses paths with unspeakable betrayal as Molly Burkhart, a member of the Osage Nation, tries to save her community from a spree of murders fueled by oil and greed. This movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone, as well as Jesse Plemons, Tantu Cardinal, John Lithgow, and Brandon Fraser. And it is directed by Martin Scorsese. So, Dale, thoughts on this film? Like, the reaction, my reaction with this movie is like, you remember the, the whole Pocahontas meme where the chief is like, don't trust these white people? <laughs> and how we now say it like white people, like, that's literally um, my thing with this movie. But honestly, after viewing and in the middle of viewing it, I do feel um, that. Scorsese, I applaud him for shutting right in an event that a lot of people don't know about. You know, mm-hmm. a historical event. Um, to be honest, um, of course, he, he adapted most of this from a book. But I do agree. I wasn't. I wasn't under. I. And it's hard, sad to say, as a person of color, as a minority or whatever. Um, when the um, we've spoken before about how there was Osage representation involved with the project as well. Mm-hmm. Um, on the red carpet. Um premiere um i guess i don't know which network interviewed somebody they interviewed um a osage member who was there on the red carpet and he said something to the effect of it is a good movie but it kind of does a bit of disservice due to the perspective that you see in the movie um which after watching i do i do see his point and i also do understand that the subject matter and Scorsese's focus was solely on the atrocities by um Leonardo, Leonardo and um and and, the, and um Robert De Niro's characters, you know, Robert De Robert Niro's characters that of course they take up majority of their showtime because you want to show them in such a negative light and have the same for them. But I do think we, I wish we had more time with the Osage people in this project a bit more, you know. Okay, yeah. Um I thought this movie was um really good, really long. I'll get to the runtime later, but um this is an interesting project because I remember watching the news kind of fold or kind of unfold as it was getting made. And I know that there were a lot of articles that were documenting the fact that Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio were meeting with Osage leaders and really like really doing their best to incorporate them into the story um, as it was being shaped as well as the filming of it. Um, I watched a couple of Martin's interviews at like BFI and stuff where he talked about the filming of this and how there was just a scene and I think in the hut where he just let some of the leaders of the Osage nation just talk and they just kept the cameras rolling um because they had so many stories and so much to say and i will say that like out of all of the movies about people of color that are made by white people 
I think this is probably one of the best just because they took the time to actually listen to the people who they were trying to like document in the, in a film, in film, like they weren't just like, okay, we'll take your story. And we got it from here. Like they actually did the work of like trying to incorporate them into this. Um, now if I'm not a native American person, so I can't speak to how well that was done because I, I don't know. I feel like from a black person's perspective, I thought it was done well, but like, if you're a part of the Native American community, you I can definitely see you having issues with it because it is documenting atrocities. It's not documenting like a joyous or even like a just like a, a normal Native American coming up in America. Like it's a, it's a very um dark part of the history of this nation. And I can totally understand like if people have issues with that being documented. Um, all I can say is that, like, I thought it was done respectfully. Um, and I think that if you're going to tell a story that's not from your culture, this is kind of the way to do it. Um, at least in the planning, like if the execution didn't hit for some people, then that's everyone's audience. Every audience member has their own personal experience to the film. So, like, however you felt about it, it is right. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. But, like... I don't know, because how many times have we seen like Green Book or things of that nature where you have yeah. white filmmakers take stories that are not that that have nothing to do with them and absolutely butcher it. So it's like I respect Martin Scorsese for trying. Like whether you thought it actually hit or not, that's your own personal thing. But for me, I thought he did a decent job at trying to do this story in because it's a, a Scorsese film, it is gonna be centered around crime, because that are, those are just the movies he makes. Like, you know, it, there is like some type of dark element to whatever story he's telling. I think that's kind of evident in his entire film history. So I don't think he was going to choose a story that was kind of, I don't know, a coming of age story or anything like that. I don't, because that just doesn't seem like that's his thing. But I do think he tried to do it as respectfully as possible. And I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you like you hit the nail on the head a while ago. Like for all like, I still enjoy this movie immensely. You know, and I I totally understand why the focus was so much on Leo and um Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Robert De Niro, Roberts, whatever. Um, but um, it was done in a much better way than I think Green Book was. Like Green mm-hmm. Book was such a disappointment. It Green Book is more so a very much of a, a white savior ish kind of story to me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, white person learns about how difficult it is for black people or minorities, and they become their greatest ally. You know, and and I I really had wished I saw the experience of um Mashallah Ali's character in in Green Book, but yeah, I I still love this movie immensely. Like, understand this movie is like three hours and thirty minutes. Um, it is, and I, I think as Scorsese is always known for like a long sequence of dialogue. But I do mm-hmm. think as he's gotten older, he's sh- very much stripped down his style. Because, like, if you if you look at from his first work, like with Taxi Driver to now, there were always still intense scenes, even with little dialogue. Like, there's seen the Taxi Driver where De Niro's not saying anything, but there's still an intensity there that engages you visually. Now he's more focused on 
I'm giving you that and a lot more dialogue. So this movie is a really slow burn, but I do love it so much because the you get to see De Niro's character, like the veneer of the white savior, mm-hmm. just strip away so slowly. There are mm-hmm. times you think it's going to reveal itself because all the Indians, like all the Native Americans, sorry, uh, love him so much. They've done so much for their community, not knowing behind the scenes that he's orchestrating their murders so he can get land and oil in his family like where he starts praying for them in in their native tongue now and then he like he goes to like he sees one of their crappy husbands he's like have he's been treating well has he feeding you stuff like that but underneath that there is a sinister um there's a sinisterness bubbling beneath which i loved that slow slow reveal for yeah I just have to take a second and talk about Robert De Niro. First yeah. of all, he ate down in this movie. He was, to me, him and Lily Gladstone were the stars of the show. Like, and that's crazy because, like, how many I've seen a, a lot of Robert De Niro performances recently. I'm talking about like recent performances mm-hmm. where it kind of seems like he's just kind of showing up getting his paycheck and leaving. So for him to like really pull it out on this one, I was like, okay, I see you. It's It was giving me the same like Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer vibes where it's like they are the supporting characters, but they are really like, they're bringing it. Like they're bringing it in a way that you haven't seen them bring it in a minute. Or maybe maybe not, our, not Robert Downey Jr. I think he's been pretty consistent. But like in terms of De Niro, like I haven't seen this performance in him in years so like the fact that he really like gave this and made me feel viscerally uncomfortable and like creeped out the entire movie like he really set the tone for like how you're gonna feel during this like I felt so gross just watching him like manipulate and use these people it was disgusting and like that's what that's the point like you're supposed to feel disgusted by the character and I totally did like he just did a phenomenal job. I wouldn't be surprised if he got some type of recognition for this because I think he totally deserves it. Like, amazing performance. Absolutely amazing. Um, and Lily Gladstone, love her. It's funny because it's like, she doesn't, there are, there's a lot in the beginning where like, she's very much in it. And then there's some, and there's the part in like the middle towards the end where she isn't really in it that much because of what they're doing to her like she's bedridden but whenever she does have a scene where she gets to express because there's like i think what i like about her as an actress is that she's very restrained like she doesn't give you a whole lot but you can still feel it but then there are moments like i there is one scene where she finds out that her sister and her brother-in-law were killed in that fire and like the release of all of that emotion was so good. Like she, I like that kind of restraint and then release like at the right moments because yeah. then you feel it so much more. Um, you know, someone's they're not, there are some performances where people are just like crying and screaming the entire time. And so you don't really, you're not really invested, but like, she's amazing. She needs to be more things like put her and everything. I think she was great. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I didn't think Leonardo DiCaprio was all that good. Like, I thought yeah. that he did, okay, he did like a serviceable job. Like, there were definitely moments where it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is good. I'm I'm with you, but 
to be the lead, I kind of feel like the other people around him outshone him a lot. I don't... I don't know what it is with Leo anymore these days. I feel like we've talked about this multiple times. It's just, you know what you're going to get and that's it. But um, I think because he was so, 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 it really accentuated everybody else's performances because everyone else really was bringing it. Like, I loved it. The only performance I didn't like was Brendan Fraser's. I don't know what he was doing. I was like, you're going so hard and I don't think that, this movie, I don't know, this movie is so quiet in terms of, like, how people, how character is revealed. Um, and then only when they're in their intimate settings do you really get to see kind of who they really are. But for him to be, like, shouting and going crazy, like, I was like, this is, the vibe feels weird now. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, like, it would, um... Yeah, I think I think this is the one movie that you're right. Uh, Leo's performance is kind of not the draw, even though mm-hmm. he's supposed to be the lead actor. Um, but I think this is the, the one of those movies where the ensemble itself is much better than the lead. Yeah, in in an amazingly wonderful way, and I love it so much. Um, and and I think that's also due to the role Leo's playing. He's kind of playing a very simple person without going as far as you know what's eating gilbert grape because that if he performed like that like that'd be really insensitive in this in this day and time yeah um but he gives he gives like a very muted subdued performance you know depicting a guy of not the most highest intelligence mm-hmm. at all um what you said about lily gladstone and her acting was perfect like underneath like there are scenes like like I love body language and emoting like yeah. without saying anything. Yeah. And she is so good at that that quiet, simmering intensity that you she could just give off. And like you said, when she expressed herself with the weight at the good right time at the end or in, in the middle where her sister dies, that was like the perfect just release of everything that you saw through the whole movie that was just simmering under under underneath it like you've seen some actresses i think i remember um i think it was one of the hunger games movies where jennifer lawrence is trying to do the same thing the whole underneath veneer you see the song and tessie and it doesn't and she just speaks quieter mm. there is no real emotive difference but when she then she yells it's just a tonal difference not a, a body difference mm. um but yeah i'm i'm okay with brendan phaedra's um because that's like he's only in the movie like two minutes like that initial scene and basically the whole town calling out Ernest and calling him stupid without calling him stupid. Um, I'm all for it because I do think it shows the let's be honest, a lot of these court trials that dealt with these issues back then for minority people, they were not taken really seriously if we're being honest. This is like one of the few times where serious repercussions happen, but you know, at the end both of them they just spend life in jail. They spent like a couple of years and then they're mm-hmm. back out in home like nothing happened. Um his intensity and his it's very uh, uh, it works for that scene because it's very showman-esque. Like I'm the, the lawyer at that point is putting on a show, you know, saying, Oh, this is my client. I haven't seen him. And Leonardo's dumb character is like, I guess, you know, if he's representing my uncle, I guess he's also representing me. And like it 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 worked for what was needed. In that scene, because it really helped and showcased Leonardo DiCaprio's character, his um, 
lack of awareness of what's going on. You know, any other person kind of in that situation would say, no, that's not my lawyer. That's my uncle. I have, like, no idea. But he's just literally, like, Leo's character in this movie is literally just along for the ride. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I get what you're saying. I just yeah. don't like it. <laughs> I don't not like it either, but I, I understood why. Yeah, because yeah. that makes sense when you're talking about it in that context. I guess it's the one later when they're trying to, like, convince him to kind of recant what he had said before and, like, get on board with Robert De Niro's character. And he was, like, still bringing that same level of intensity. And it's like, why are you screaming? I don't know. <laughs> I just felt weird about it. I just felt weird about it. There were certain moments in this this movie that definitely made me feel weird. Like, I don't know. And not a weird of like, oh, okay, I see what you're, I see what the characters are doing, but weird, like, why is this here? Like, one of the scenes, one of the main scenes I'm thinking about is the paddleboard scene where um, <laughs> Robert De Niro banks Leonardo DiCaprio with the, with the <laughs> board or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> To me, that felt like, oh, this is like a historically accurate thing that he felt like he needed to put in here because he also talks about being like a Freemason. or I, I don't know. It was just, it, I was like, I don't, like, because metaphorically, or I guess symbolically is what I'm trying to say, the idea that Leonardo DiCaprio's character is under the thumb of Robert De Niro's character is very obvious from like the very, beginnings of the movie like we know the dynamic here we know robert de niro was in control of the situation like and leo is just um a wheel in the cog like or a cog in the whatever however the saying was and he's not like he's being used like we already know that so i think the idea of like because that thing comes after he gets in trouble but <laughs> him being spanked and i guess being subservient to De Niro's character in that moment kind of felt a little like what did the comedians say? A hat on a hat? It's like when you already have a joke and then you try to make another joke on it and so that makes it unfunny. Like, yeah. that's kind of what it was giving. It was giving like, okay, we we get this. We understand. Why are we watching this old man spank Leonardo DiCaprio? It just felt weird to me. I mean, what I realized in this movie though is in watching it, you can usually tell when a character is taking a dominant position and, a sub- and submissive position based on how camera angles work. And mm-hmm. of course, as he really did not under he really did not showcase that a lot. He mm-hmm. tried to give a portrayal. Like we're honestly watching the movie from um Ernest Burkhart's perspective. Because mm-hmm. a lot of those shots where Leo and Robert are talking, they're not you don't get that submissive. It's clear that there is a submissive dominant um situation in there but due to it being from Ernest's perspective in a way their shots are always even like mm-hmm. no one is having a higher presence and i think that's why that scene was there because it's only it's one of the few scenes in the movie where you get to see de niro's character visually in a dominant po- position i guess that that's once again, how I how I analyze the scene, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, cause you, you don't re- like like I mean I think that's the thing like people don't realize how a lot how much camera angles, camera angles aid in the telling of a story, 
like there are very very few scenes of the two of them like usually if you're the dominant person your camera angle is usually looking on looking down at you and the other person is like other cameras looking up because you're get your pov mm-hmm. is switching and they did that they really did, rarely did that in this movie so i mean yeah plus that conversation could have happened anywhere they didn't really have to see the mason yeah that's okay it just yeah yeah, there was mm, certain things i was like "Mm, don't like that but um in terms of like overall though i thought it was beautifully shot i mean the shot i mean the cinematography was fantastic um and i also and i knew that it was going to be good from the trailer when i saw the trailer i was like oh yeah those are some those are some nice shots like this is probably going to be pretty good but um also, just in like the actual story, like what we're being told is something that I don't think most people know anyway, so it's very interesting because you're you're it's like you're learning the information as the characters are kind of like you're kind of getting the grips with like what's going on in real time as some of the characters are also kind of learning, even though you're no even though you kind of know certain things before they do, like the whole entire time you know that. De Niro and DiCaprio are trying to take these people's money. Um, they you know the scheme they're running, but I think like how it on how it reveals itself is very like whoa like y'all went to some extremes. I mean, one thing I noted when I was watching, I was like, people are dying like every five minutes. Like people will just be out, killed, shot, done. Like I was like whoa, very and because. Yeah, and the deaths aren't even like recognized really. So I know when um Molly's sister dies, not the first one, but the second one who was like drinking and like having her fun time, like that was made like a big thing because I think that's what prompted them to go to Washington and, you know, get the FBI involved and all that and all that stuff. But in terms of like everyone else who was just dropping like flies, I was like, they did like the deaths weren't even like looked at. Everyone just like kept moving. Like we moved to the next scene. I was just like, whoa. But there were so many deaths. Like so many people were dying. It was crazy. And the the lengths they were going to poison her so she wouldn't be active. I was like, girl, we need to leave this relationship. Like, not only was Leo a terrible husband, but he was also racist. Like I was like, please, please get out of this relationship. It really took her a long time. It literally took her finding out that he was poisoning her for her to leave. And I'm like, by this time, he's killed your sister. He has killed other members of your family. Like, he is, like, he has been racist and misogynist. Like, and this, he's on trial right now. Like, and that was the final straw. I was like, I can't believe this, but I guess it was the twenties, so different time. And the thing with Leo's character is like his whole motivation is, oh, even though I'm doing these heinous things, I love my wife. Like, you don't kill Mm. the the person you love, her like her whole family if you love them. Like, he played a hand in her all of her sisters' deaths except for the um. The first one, the first you know, one, right. oh, only, only death he didn't, didn't play a part was the mother. Although, if you know, you realize all your children are dying, you know, as an old person, that is gonna like take up emotional, physical, spiritual on you, which leads to your death. But him saying, I love my wife through all this, blah, 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 
like Leo's like this is like the most punchable character Leo's oh, had yeah. since um Django and Django. Chains, you know? yeah. <laughs> but Django it worked because Django you because he's playing into it like he's hamming it up a bit more but this mm-hmm. one is just like so sinister and like uh oh yeah yeah that's the feeling Ugh. <laughs> it makes you want to spit like it's just he's just so gross because like they're all committing these murders and they're still up in these people's homes they're still cuddled up they're still trying to be buddy buddy and i'm like you're murdering these people like how do you step foot in their house and act like everything is okay it's so like that is like psycho behavior like that's some yeah. sociopath i don't know like that's weird I, like you mentioned the scenes before when and you can kind of tell in the scene that there there are very long takes of when the osage leadership is actually speaking because mm-hmm. the camera just lingers so you can tell martin's just letting them talk like mm-hmm. just go and so everywhere. But in those scenes where they're there with the Osage people and De Niro's characters there, and he'd get up, it's like, I'll send money to Washington to help these people. And like, bro, you just killed like five people, bro. Like, uh It's so mm. true. It's like it's sick. Yeah. It's truly sick. Um, and at the end when he's like, Oh no, they're gonna have my back, like they know that I built their schools and blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, sure. But it is, it really is, it does speak to a bigger thing, which I think that we're all experiencing now, which I think is why the movie's really poignant, is that you do have these, you do have people in society who are, like, helping, you know, have philanthropic kind of ideals, but they're really in it for themselves and for money. Like, they're not actually trying to help other people. Jeff Bezos. I mean, Elon Musk is a mess, but I think initially he was trying to be the guy, the guy who did Bitcoin, cool that, that man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we just care about the people. Like, we're just going to give all of our money away and help everyone. And it's like, no, you, you don't. Like, you're, you're doing this for yourself. Like, it's good cover to have humanitarian efforts on your resume. You know, you can say, no. I love people. I look what I'm doing for everyone else um, to kind of hide the fact that you're doing really shady, corrupt business practices behind the scenes. And it's like, yeah. It's, it's comic book villain one-on-one. Be famous mm. business person, be evil, but also give money back because you give money back. It makes you look good, but you get a tax break. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I, I do love the fact they also mentioned, um, the has uh Tulsa um yeah the in this picture black. um because I think now post um I I commend Watchmen for it it pushed that atrocity up more in recent years you've been hearing people, more people talk about more people bringing up Black Wall Street all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but this movie kind of hits on two things it's like the perface perface and if this comes off sounding racist to a degree i do apologize it come it showcases the perfaceness of um particularly for that time and to this day to a degree the perverseness of whiteness when you mm. have your status and privilege you think you can do whatever you want and get away with it mm. and also it's this movie is a very cautionary tale and story of something that happens to um us as minorities, when I say minorities, I mean 
black, brown people, you know, Native American, Asian, when we come to this country and a lot of our cultures, like if you look globally, a lot of non-Caucasian cultures are community, very community oriented. Mm. And usually what happens in a lot of these countries is once we get involved in the trappings of capitalism and wealth and stuff like that, everything gets flipped onto its head and it falls apart. And I do think this movie from the Native American experience is also expressing that. Like the leadership says we knew once we got the white man's money, these things would happen, you Mm. know, because this is not the way we live, that kind of thing. Like it's a cautionary tale and them having that money also ended up making the white men jealous because they were spent, they're really frivolous with it, doing whatever they want, doing it. It's like a really cautionary tale how wealth can change and affect you on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. It, that Yeah, that's very true. Just like the danger of capitalism, which is couldn't be more <laughs> timely. Um, but I also liked how they were weaving together different historical events that were happening around the same time. So you were seeing things like the tragedy of um, that happened at Black Wall Street and also like the KKK and how they were like almost sanctioned to be doing what they were doing around that time. They and- were in the parade like nothing was yeah. wrong on na- on a native reservation. Yes. And there, because it's interesting because the day, the how they were showing it, which I think was really smart, because you had that man who I guess was who was he, the preacher or someone? He was like blatantly racist, like him and his wife. Like they, when they showed up at the house and they were talking about the kids and like which one was darker, which one was lighter, blah, blah, blah. They were very blatantly, like obviously racist. Like the races that you would kind of see in movies to say, oh, how racism is bad. But then you would have people like, De Niro and others who were racist, who are racist in this movie, but they hit it better. So you kind of, they weren't so obvious with it. So, but which is smart because again, people will see the blatant racism and be like, okay, well, I'm not like that. So I'm not racist, you know? So I like that they show that the different variations of like what racism actually is and how it presents itself in, you know, communities of color. But yeah, I like how they try to weave together like what the actual time period of this of American history was and how something like this can happen. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a really smart way to uh, hit on different themes. It was an extremely long movie and I felt the runtime. I did feel the runtime. But on reflection, I think it did make sense. Like, I think you kind of needed to take that time to plot all of those little seeds and really watch how it grows because it wasn't just about this tragedy, but it was also about like the start of the FBI and like how they were getting involved with stuff. And again, weaving more historical context into this story. So, I mean, I I had something to do afterwards, so I guess that's why I felt it. I was like, all right, please credits. Um, But um, I think overall, I guess, I guess it was fine. I mean, uh, I'm surprised like Scorsese did this because you know Irishman that was on Netflix, you know, because he saw he signed he was yes. yeah he would they were on Netflix and this and I'm surprised this movie was like distributed like Apple TV and like Paramount gave him this money and said hey go make a three hour movie like mm-hmm. cause I know Netflix kind of gives them freedom like hey Scorsese we're gonna throw this money at you make the movie as long as you want because. And on our platform because people could still pause it and walk away. 
but Apple was like, we're going to give you the money for this as well, and then also have it playing in theaters, but I thought it was impressive. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading some stuff about the box office, about how like it didn't do well. Maybe we'll talk about that later. I don't know, but um, yeah. I mean, you yeah. can you can mention it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I don't know. You have a movie like Oppenheimer, which is I don't. This was this longer than Oppenheimer. This was long, I think Oppenheimer was like two something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't three hours. It wasn't three hours. It was like two hours and forty. It was almost there though. Yeah. Um, and I felt the runtime towards the end too, but for some reason this felt longer, because I guess it is. <laughs> That's why it is longer. So it felt longer. Um, but Oppenheimer did really well. And I think maybe it's because it had the hype of the Barbie kind of combo that kind of lifted it up. I don't know if it was on its own, would it make those same numbers? I have no idea. But um, this is a movie that was hype. I mean, like, since it dropped at Cannes, like, everyone was talking about it, loved it, was excited about it. They're calling it Marty's Masterpiece, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I don't know if I'm surprised that more people weren't going out to see it. You know, I'm not really sure, but um, I don't know. I mean... To, yeah. I'm probably going to talk about this. Like, I do think part of the the box office return is kind of a is due to also his views on the current cinema landscape, which are honestly very valid, and mm-hmm. we, we'll talk about that later on in the, in mm-hmm. the podcast. But yeah, there are a lot of a lot of things involved as to why this movie has not gotten the box office acclaim well, and it'll it'll go off. As you know, it'll probably be a it won't be a bomb because it's critically praised. And right. I think people don't realize that the movie if the movie doesn't make back its money, it'll be a financial fall, but it won't be viewed as a bomb if right. it still has a critical acclaim. Now, if you don't get the critical acclaim and you don't make the money, then you're you're done. Um, yeah, but this movie is gonna be the people are gonna like award season like, oh, why is this movie up for awards? Like, because they didn't watch it. It's gonna be one mm, of those movies that yeah. people are gonna be yeah confused as to why oh this movie's not good because you didn't watch like no the movie's actually good it's just you got your head so far up your ass you refuse to watch good things sometimes but yeah <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah but um i hope going forward that i don't know i'm trying to think about like the protagonist or just yeah just the main character of scorsese's films i don't think there have been many people of color like this is probably the one of I'm trying to think back to what he's done because he's done a lot. So I'm trying to just. Yeah, they're having. I think this is this is the one. Of the yeah, first. Yeah, this is one of the first where a person of color was like centered in this in a story. Yeah. And, and the I story hope... of a group of people, of color people as well. Yeah. Right. So I hope going forward he focuses more on that because again, this is a story about the Osage people, but also kind of through the lens of white people. So I yeah. kind of hope that I don't know. He said he was making a movie about Jesus. So if Jesus is oh, yeah, black, then mm. I'm all I'm all for it. Make Jesus black. I think that'll be great. Um, but like, I don't know, because I I, I kind of want that's where I want a lot of these directors to move in. Like, I just want them to be like, there is artistic talent over here. Like, you just have to like shine a light on them so they can you know get more opportunities they can yeah. do really well like maybe you'll reach di- different demographics 
you know, I don't know, I don't know what's up by people who are going to go see this movie, but like Black Jesus, maybe they'll show up. So that's all I'm saying. I think I think I think me personally, this is a this is a good recovery from Irishman. Oh yeah, for me. Although I do think part of the issue with Irishman was you have like these. 70 80 year old actors playing the same character as from a 20 year old to 80 years old like it's it's it's, it's there's only so much you can do with makeup and prosthetics like you got de niro kicking people on the ground you can see he can barely move his leg or at least at least this picture makes sense you know de niro is age appropriate for his character mm-hmm. and people were complaining like they looked up like the ages of these people when they were um doing like oh do you know the character's character was supposed to be in his 20s like bro in the 80s you had nba players who like they were 50 years old okay so <laughs> so people like it's not till recently where people look 18 like even in the 90s you had people in like who looked like they were already in their 20s in high school so mm-hmm. it was still recently people kind of look age appropriate you know, oh, yeah. wow, that's crazy. He was you really know, 20, like the real life person. Yeah, he's supposed to be like in his early, early, like early to mid 20s. But see, that makes more sense, though. See, maybe they should have casted someone different because to make the certain decisions that he made or not to make certain decisions, you kind of have to be like a little young, a little clueless, you know, just kind of going along with but the program. Visually, it but makes sense because Leonardo DiCaprio was like in his late 40s, like. Yeah, it's kind of like so okay, it's you're still, just dumb. Like that's the yeah. conclusion I make. It's like you're okay. You're but just it, stupid. It still, it still worked to me visually. Yeah, being because Leo ain't no spring chicken either. He clearly looks like a forty year old person. Like right, but yeah. people back then aged atrociously as well. So it, <laughs> it still worked for me. You know, <laughs> damn drag. You could be you could be five years old and you look like you've smoked smoked twenty packs a day and look haggard. So <laughs> so yeah, it it worked. And that's and that's part of casting. Yes, you also want you want to do an age appropriate actor, but you want to also what works visually for the time period as well. You know, so I guess um, it worked for me. Yeah, it was still a really good movie though. So yeah, yep. So October is done. Well, done in a couple of days. Um, this episode, of course, if you're listening to it, it is Halloween. Um, happy so- Halloween. Yeah, I got. If you're a visual person, um, your person because got my Superman shirt on. It's close. So I'll get to a costume, you know, <laughs> to, tonight. Um, but I'm just gonna go over the top ten movies for the month. Bear in mind, some of these came out a little later. Some of these came out more late September. Some of these came out uh late October for the most part. But um, of course, number ten is a Nun Two, A Haunting of Venice, another uh Poa movie agatha christie um that's at um at nine the bind at eight the creator which we saw is somehow at seven saw x of course is at six kills of the flower movie moon the movie we're talking about tonight is at five and that released technically october 20th so that's good um paw patrol at four exorcist the believer at three five nights of freddy which is just recently debuted, you know, has an as number two for the month total. And of course, number one is Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. So, but those are the top ten movies of the month so far, of this past month. Okay, so let's get into the news. Um, first up, we have Avengers director Joe Russo touting box office over Oscars and playful jab by Martin Scorsese and the film community. 
was not pleased. They were not having it. Um, basically, so Mari Scorsese's daughter, Francesca, she was in We Are Who We Are, Luke Guadagnino show on HBO, if you don't know. <laughs> um, she has them on TikTok, like doing funny stuff, which is actually really cute. But um, I think they had a, yeah, they were, <laughs> they were playing with their dog. His, and the dog is named Oscar. And so Joe Russo of the Russo brothers, you know, Avengers fame, um, he was like making like a playful retort to that video where he was like, oh, here's my dog box office. But I think people got really angry because of Martin Scorsese's position on Marvel movies, which he's made very clear how he doesn't see it as cinema. And that has been a whole thing. And so as one of the directors of one of the biggest movies in the marvel mcu franchise like i don't know people were like this is offensive not offensive just but like an offense like so i don't know cinema because maybe in their minds are they're thinking like well if he's saying that money's more important than critical response or or having critical claim like having an oscar you know he it's- doesn't he's a hack it's a very layered issue because I think at one point after Scorsese's initial comments, they um put out a statement for one of um, um one of their movies they were working on and it played in the movie, I think. Um where there were basically uh a full enthusiasm over the whole auteur kind of director kind of mindset about art and stuff like that and it was really a bunch of double speak that basically meant knocking nothing basically they were taking the piss out of scorsese so there's been kind of little two slight jabs back and forth um i do kind of i do i'm a little a little bit more on the scorsese side and his issues not with the directors of the russes or whatever it's more so the studios mm-hmm. who are only mm-hmm. focused on these things my only takeaway from this from the the um Russ from joe russo is bro your claim to fame before, you know, your Captain America stuff, amazing. Your Avengers stuff is kind of meh. Um, and it did numbers because it's a Marvel property. Like, your greatest works are tied to IPs. Like, if it wasn't tied to a known IP, probably wouldn't be received the same way. Because, look, you went to Netflix and did The Gray Man, and that shit was crap. So, <laughs> so you know... No one's gonna remember Grayman like in twenty years time, but you know we're to this day we're still talking about Taxi Driver and shit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess just in this climate where like <laughs> anything that's by these big studios is looked at like very harshly, and especially because of where the MCU is right now, um people are like they're ready to go like if you give them if you drop a little blood in the water they are going to feast so he was just i'm sure he was trying to make a joke but right now it's not a good time like i guess people were already on edge so (laughs) um another update of course the hard games prequel about a song british sneaks landed its sack um sack after interim agreement um of course it stars rachel zegler and um um blythe i think rachel zegler also has a movie with snow white coming out in a couple of days as well um, next year 
next year. Um, but the tentative agreement means that you know both Zegler and Tom Blythe, Vale Davis, and Peter Dinklage and Hunter Schaefer of um before your fame can start promoting the film before his theater is um November seventeenth. So I guess when the release is I guess Thanksgiving weekend for the mm-hmm. for the Star Games movie. Um and the only weird thing is they're not sure why the agreement was granted so close to the release date. But you know it it needs help because Thanksgiving is not really a movie go week movie going weekend. So I guess it'll help it. Um I'm surprised it it happened. You know, we're going to probably talk about this later about the whole issues with the the strikes with the actors and the the um with SAG and the studio. So some also be personally surprised that they did get this um permission to promote um this project. So well, make, well, I was surprised too, and then I looked at it and saw that they only got it granted because they're with Lionsgate, and Lionsgate is not a struck company, which mm. is the only reason why they're able to still promote it because. When I saw this, I was like, wait a minute, huh? <laughs> that doesn't sound right to me. But, um, and I didn't know, because to me, you know, all these bigger studios, they'd be buying stuff like, mm-hmm. I think Amazon bought MGM and stuff. So I was like, I was under the assumption that Lionsgate was bought by somebody else. Yeah. So I didn't realize that, no, it's, it's still independent. So it can still like do its own thing, even though it's not an independent studio. It's just not a struck one. And I'm like, okay. I, I mean, listen, if it don't go against the rules, then it's fine. Lionsgate <laughs> said, "Hey, we're not assholes. We're we're not beholden. We don't. We're not a studio that has a streaming platform where we can bullshit you. We actually, we actually need box office numbers like mm-hmm. them. A A twenty four. You know, because A twenty four has an agreement as well for yeah. I think the Michael Mann Ferrari, which is funny. I because you know me, F one fan. Yes, um, Adam Driver." This past mm-hmm. weekend or last weekend, they filmed him for F1, like talking, doing an intro about promoting the race, and he's also being interviewed talking about Ferrari. And I assumed like, oh, he's promoting truck work, and then it goes, no, a he's a twenty four, a twenty four does is oh, yeah. with an agreement. So yeah, he was, yeah. yeah, he's been talking about it because yeah. he was allowed to <laughs> because yeah. they signed the agreement. But yeah. Um, moving on from that, but same in the same wheelhouse, um, negotiations are seemingly in the final stretch with SAG-AFRA and the studios. Basically, as I think where we left off with this was that they weren't speaking. There were two weeks where there were no negotiations happening. That got back on the table after I think George Clooney and other people kind of, a lot happened. Basically, they were like, we'll give people money if like that's what you guys need is money like we'll figure it out and it's like well that's not that's not what the strike is really about like it is but like there's other issues here <laughs> like the money's not going to cover you know ai and all of those things so we actually and we can't take the money from you anyways because legally it's not appropriate so but i think that that motivated the studios to come back to the table so they've been talking every day for like a week this past week and they're still talking they talked over the weekend. They're seems like the negotiations are starting to ramp up to a point where they're gonna make a deal soon. Because basically what's happening now is that because things are getting so late, they're having to push the summer releases back, which is what which they weren't planning for. Um, but I mean, like, come on, studios, like you walked away from the table for two weeks. Like, what did you think was gonna happen? Anyways, so they are worried about that they're like oh some shows might be canceled <laughs> it's like 
y'all are the problem. Like, it just, I can't, I can't take them. Like, I'm so ready for this to be done. So I never have to think about any of those five people anymore. Like, they're just gross. But hopefully things get together soon because like the year is wrapping up so they have to make some choices they're gonna have to cough it up um and hopefully a deal gets made i don't know i'm not gonna predict anything because i'm always wrong so (laughs) i think i think the last i heard is if they don't get anything done till it's before was labor day was late nothing's done by labor day next year's the 2024 release windows affected now mm-hmm. that what they were saying was if nothing gets done within the next three weeks because they're not going to have these meetings in december like right. that's mm-hmm. not going to happen mm-hmm. and so they're saying if nothing gets done by december then that throws 2025's release windows on the fact so yeah studio i think studios now they're they've realized they've been fucking up a little bit too much because mm-hmm. now like oh we don't want to pay these actors because they're going to cut into a profits now they're realizing oh you got to push two years worth of release windows back that's that's not good for my pocket now as ceo which their contracts are incentive laden based on the performance of the company so yeah mm-hmm. um on a somber note, um, of course, friend star Matthew Perry passed away this past weekend um, in his home at the age of 45. Um, 54. Uh, 54, sorry. Um, he's He mentioned in the past that he himself did have issues with um, substance abuse and stuff like that. He mentioned um, actually founding a house in California for men to get recovering, get sober. Um, of course, his biggest kind of fame is, you know, uh friends um uh for for like about 10 years from 94 to 2004 um but he had a long career after that um a 30 on sunship strip he had so long career um and it's sad because he like i said he's a person who's mentioned his issues and personal demons and his problems so it's always worse when you see a person who's fighting and you know he's the hills and valleys and they triumph over that end up you know succumbing to those things um yeah it's it's sad yeah i think i'm still waiting to see like what exactly happened yeah um but i don't know it is really that really got me i was like wow i wasn't expecting that because he was just recently i think he was recently promoting his book about how he was talking about his addiction and stuff and overcoming that. So, man, for him to go, and it's, I feel so much for, you know, the other cast members of Friends, because, like, they were, like, a literally, like, a unit. Like, for, I mean, to make a show with anyone for 10 years is obviously a huge and, like, significant amount of time of your life. But everyone seemed like they stayed really close. So I can't imagine how they're dealing with this right now like i'm sure it's absolutely devastating also to his family and i don't know chandler was one of my favorite characters on friends like i feel like everyone can kind of relate to at least something about his personality or his characterization in that show and apparently some of the characteristics were based off of the actual actors so like some of matthew perry's stuff was actually in chandler bang and yeah, I it's just it's 
awful. Like that really, I'm sure that for the people who knew him and were close to him, I know that they must be hurting, but like as a fan of the show. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm friends on my show, but as a person who I can relate to dealing with those things mentally, it is like sad. Cause I mean, there's nothing you can really do as an individual. Um, you just gotta keep your mental good. I don't know whatever mm-hmm. he was going through. I don't want to assume he was found unconscious in his jacuzzi. They're doing a tux- they're doing a, a they're waiting on toxicology reports to actually confirmed what caused what caused the incident. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really sad uh, for me as a person who deals with the mental stuff like like on a regular basis. Who you know, but um, and a, another issue with this is the same issue that happened with um Kobe Bryant's passing is um the family didn't find out the first people to find out was tmc and it's been discovered that tmc got their information um from a labt lapd officer on scene so that's a whole other issue as well of um issues with the lapd who are breaking these stories with celebrities or famous people whether it's they're drunk or you know mm-hmm. or they pass away and leaking that news to tmc before family um, final because they were reported that the cast of friends, like you mentioned, how close they are. Nobody in the cat, every they found the information through TMZ, they didn't find out through their close network. Um, so I do think, um, there, there needs to be a serious look at the Department of Structural LAPD. This is the second high profile celebrity that has lost his, their life that has been reported first and foremost through TMZ before the family finds out. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So what did we watch this past? Ooh, we were on break. So past weekend change. Yeah. Um, for me, I've been recovering for illness. I you know, I I couldn't go on a grand, you know, you know, Princess Diaries like adventure like you did. They've been stuck in bed <laughs> most of the time. Um I know we talked in the past before about Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, that kind of thing. I did mm-hmm. watch Charade. I know I think you oh, mentioned good. watching it before. Yeah. Um, but it just it was like I was just like, you know, those times where you're sick and you just move. So I just moved from my room and just I plopped on the couch and turned on the TV, even though I have my own TV in my room. And I was like, Oh, charade is on, and I sat there watching charade. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts? No thoughts? Oh, I, I love it. Like, I've seen it. Okay. I love it. Like, I've seen it before, but I, I love it. Like, you know, me and old movies. Like, I love yeah. Get That From Mother. Like, old movies is my thing. I, I literally, you know, and, you know, we're preparing something behind the scenes. And I was like, what are the movies I've watched? Majority of the movies that I've watched for the past year are all older movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, compared to the movies for this year. So it's, it's fun. But yeah, like, I still, I still behold to the fact that, you know, a lot of the modern action movies, in a way, you know, owe a lot to Cary Grant and his roles in those movies, you know, Charade and um North by Northwest, like his his characters in those movies and projects like that. And even um Hitchcock, oh, what's the other one? Um what's the title of the movie? Why did the title when he's the photography across the um the window, oh my gosh. Vertigo? yeah vertigo like movies like that like the modern spy action we're like tom cruise might be going crazy jumping off stuff and hanging off of planes but or jumping bikes but the core elements of those pictures owe a lot to cary grant and those kind of projects you know so yeah (laughs) yeah very true 
So what did I watch? I I wasn't on a Princess Diary vacation, but I did go on vacation. Got sick, so <laughs> really glad it, <laughs> it always it's always great until you get back home. Um but on the plane I did rewatch Civil War. Actually on the plane I I watched Civil War, Captain America Civil War, um, very deep, like mm. way deeper than I ever realized having watched it. Like I watched that movie a few times. And it took me until this last time to be like, oh, this is like this is kind of like very emotional and very poignant. I didn't realize how good it was. Like I knew it was good, but I didn't know how like heavy it was until I watched it. I was like, oh my God, like they really did something with that. Um very good. I was very into it. But I rewatched that. I rewatched Crazy Stupid Love, which is a great movie. So good. And I rewatched After Sun, which was just as good as it was the first time I watched it, except I didn't cry this time. <laughs> I I saved my tears from for not crying. That I wouldn't I wasn't gonna cry on the plane. But um so I rewatched that. My friends rewatched, or my friends, I think one of my friends hadn't seen Twilight, or she had she hadn't seen it in a long time. So we watched Twilight. Such a great movie. Like, I don't know. I know people hate it, but like to me, it's perfect. Like it's perfect camp movie. Like <laughs> just a romp. Like nothing makes sense. It's all dumb, but it's so much fun. Like it's just a good time. <laughs> So if you haven't watched Twilight, I like watching Twilight. I like watching those movies like during this time just because it feels like spooky but silly. Um and I kind of I partially rewatched Gladiator, but we had things to do, so I didn't finish watching it. Great. I ha- when I watched it the first time in a long time, like I could not stop thinking about it. And I think it's because of the costume design and Wonky Phoenix. Beautiful. Yeah. And the production design, like everything just looks incredible. Like absolutely astounding. Um, absolutely astounding. Yeah. And just gorgeous. I can't wait for the second one. I can't wait for the strike to be over so they can finish making it. Because yeah. I everything just look like it's it's in my brain. Like it hasn't it hasn't left my brain yet. Um, and then I watched other people watch Beetlejuice and Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Like, I watched Hocus Pocus when I was younger, but, like, i never seen Beetlejuice, and I guess I still haven't, like, technically seen it, but, like, their reviews are long, so I've basically seen most of the scenes. Um, And I didn't realize how much Winona Ryder wasn't really, like, it's more about, uh, what's her name, Gina Davis? That's her name, right? And that, and her partner, don't know his name, Mm -hmm. but it's more about them. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that, but, yeah. I guess it can be very formative. I can definitely see how like that character influenced Wednesday. I don't know which came. No, Wednesday came first. When, Wednesday, Wednesday came first. Yeah, that came first. Yeah. So maybe that influenced that character. Maybe like maybe the modern iterations of what Wednesday is. I don't know. Had some inspiration from Beetlejuice. I, not- I think the cultural. Well, I should they call it the cultural importance of Beetlejuice. It spawned off like a lot of people who know the Beetlejuice and um. Lydia and those characters yeah. don't know them as much from the movies. They know mm. them from the cartoon that came after. Oh. Which which is also funny that this was, I think, um, 
Um, Michael Keaton did Billy Juice, then he did Batman. And everybody was like, oh, he's a comedic actor. What are you talking about? He mm. can't do Batman. And then, you know, he's still regarded as the best Batman <laughs> of all time. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Juice is one of my favorite movies. I was mm-hmm. working on an ad for a restaurant, and I wish I could have shot it. But the dining room scene where they're singing um, Harry Belafonte, like, singing Dio. Yeah. I had a whole life of the restaurant based on that scene. Mm-hmm. And but like they get transported to the Caribbean and blah 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 blah. But I couldn't I didn't get to add because somebody else went and tried to pitch it to the people and could not explain the scenes the way I could have. And I'm always mad that I never got to shoot it. Like I have it in my pitch deck still. I'm gonna find a way to shoot it for somebody. Mm. But yeah, I was like, okay, this is like my first major chance at shooting a, a legit ad that I want to do, and didn't get it because somebody else was doing the pitch over me, which sucks. But that's right. industry. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that scene because Bella Hadid and her family did something like that for like Vanity Fair, and I was like, oh, mm. this is quirky. What's this? Um, yeah. But yeah, so. That movie, yeah, but also just Tim Burton, I guess, the the man he works with, I don't know if he worked with the same person for the animation portions of it, Um, but great. Like, I think, yeah, he's just really good at doing all that stuff. Um, And Hocus Pocus, just just fantastic. (laughs) Love it. Like, I just... Are you... A question... You mentioned Burton. Are you a fan of Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, I love it. Yeah. So good. I don't get I I don't enjoy the movie. I don't know why. Like that was one of the movies mm-hmm. I watched this week because of course it's that time of the year it's gonna be on and I couldn't I I watched it and I and nothing I wasn't drawn into it. I don't know why. I don't know oh why. Gosh. It's so good that <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't about. know. I don't know. I don't know why it was. I wasn't drawn. I wasn't captivated by it. I love Tim Burton. You know, for I some mean, reason. Some movies will do it for you, and some won't. Yeah. Like you know what I'm saying. Like everyone has different taste, even if they still like the same director. Like I don't know. I still. I think I like Corpse Bride a lot more. I just. Yeah. I love that movie. It's so good to me, but um. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. That was like, that was like, you know, when Disney Channel did like the Halloween, where they would have every movie, like every night be a Halloween themed movie. Like yeah. I would watch that all the time. Like that in Halloween Town, it twitches. Anyways, they don't, don't do it I like, think- they don't do it like they did back in the day. Halloween Town was a shit. I ain't gonna lie. That was my thing. Yeah. The first two, the last one, no. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> the last one, no. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, I didn't. I didn't do like Nightmare Before Christmas because I didn't watch it as a kid. I watched it when I was like older. So maybe okay. I don't have that nostalgic yeah. attachment to it as well, which plays a factor on how you enjoy these things. So yeah, that's true. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's it from us this week. We hope that you're taking care of yourselves and doing well. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. <laughs>